Well, hey, we are back in the Sermon on the Mount. Jacob started this sermon series two weeks ago. We took a break for Father's Day. That was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed the root beers and the beef jerky. But we are back with Jesus as he is preaching to his disciples. He is teaching to his disciples. And the way that this would have looked is Jesus would have sat down. His disciples would have gathered around him standing. And where he was positioned, his, the sound waves of his voice would have carried out to the crowds that were there. So there could have been 100 people there in the crowd. There could have been 200 people there in the crowd. But this is not for the crowd. This was for Jesus' disciples. And so what Jesus is doing today is he is setting a distinction. He is drawing a line in the sand on the side of this mountain saying, if you are my disciple, this is how you are to be. This is the way that you should live. And so, as believers, Jesus starts us off with the Beatitudes. And the next thing that he says is, as believers, that we are salt, that we are light. Now, if you are a Christian, if you have put your trust in Jesus, that makes you a disciple. Being a Christian is not what you know. There are a lot of us in here, there are a lot of people that we know out in the world that may have all the right information in their head. They may have everything that they need, all the bits of information. They know everything about Jesus. They know what he's done, but they have not put their faith in Jesus. And there's a 12-inch disconnect from their brain to their heart. And because of that 12-inch disconnect, there will be a difference in where they spend their eternity. So being a Christian is not just knowing what Jesus did for you. Being a Christian is believing in Jesus, putting your faith in him, trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sin, trusting in him to put you in right relationship with God the Father and following him. When we make Jesus our Lord, when we make Jesus our Savior, Lord means master. When someone is your master, that means you do as they say, and out of love for Jesus, we are obedient to him. We do as he says. It means that we follow him. It means that we follow him in the spirit. See, when we give our lives to the Lord, something that took place after the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus would die on a cross for the sins of the world to bring us into relationship with the Father when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. And then he rose three days later, and after he rose, he spent 40 days talking to over 500 different people, proving that he rose from the grave. And then he says, something is coming that is even greater than me, and you will do even greater things than I have done, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, as a believer that is here today, it's not just a knowledge that is in your head that is connected to your heart that you follow with your life, but it is a presence, it is a power that lives in you, that is the Holy Spirit. The power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that lives in you and me today if you are in relationship with God through Jesus. That is what being a Christian looks like. And so as Christians, Jesus is setting up this distinction. This means that we are salt. This means that we are light. What Jesus isn't saying here is this is that you should be salt or you should be light. We need to follow Jesus. Jesus isn't describing how to be a disciple, saying, all right, if you are going to follow me, if you are going to consider yourself someone that loves me, that believes that I am the Messiah and is chasing after me, then you have to do all of these things. And once you do all of these things, then eventually you will work yourself up to the point of being my disciple. What Jesus is saying here is, as my disciples, now we do these things. 
as my disciples. Now you are salt. Now you are light. And we see also that this follows the Beatitudes, what Jacob taught on two weeks ago. And the Beatitudes show us how we should live as kingdom people. It is a kingdom manifesto. And these Beatitudes, these attitudes that we should be about lend to what Jesus says, meaning salt and light. And these Beatitudes on the outside, they seem to look passive. It seems to look like, oh, these are just things that I should do and I can mind my own business. Or it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. And it seems simple enough, right? That's it. I just have to be these things. If I am a disciple, then I am about these attitudes. This is what my life will look like in Jesus through the power of the Spirit. But it's not a passive life. You see, when we look different from the world, if this is our characteristics that we live by, if this is the traits that we conduct ourselves with, when we are around the rest of the world that needs salt, that needs light, that doesn't look like us, that doesn't behave like us, that hasn't found Jesus, what happens when the world encounters a good thing? A lot of times it destroys that good thing. When the world encountered Jesus, it was threatened by Jesus. Spotless lamb, not a sin that he ever committed, fulfilled every law, every prophet. And what they do, they put Jesus to the cross. And these were the attitudes, these were the lifestyle traits that Jesus lived by. And because of that, he was persecuted. So if we live this way, we see that the world will persecute us, whether that's to our face, whether that's behind our back, whether that's our brothers and sisters that are believers in other countries that are even put to death. There will be persecution when we set ourselves apart from the world, when we say there is a distinctive line, and this is the way that the world lives, and this is the way that I live in Jesus, there will be persecution. But this is not the kingdom of Kevin, right? I was going to use the illustration of a turtle, and when a turtle feels threatened, the turtle puts its head inside of its shell and its cute little turtle tail and legs, but hey, Jacob just blew that illustration out of the water with the kingdom of Kevin, so we're going to run with that. We don't batten down the hatches. We don't barricade the fort. We don't stick our head back inside of our shell. When we feel threatened, there's one of three responses that we go to, and that is flight, that's fight, flight, or freeze. Think about any time you've ever felt threatened. It's one of those three responses. And as believers, we don't stand up and fight, but we don't go on the defensive. We don't go into passivity. We don't just sit there and freeze. What we do is we engage. We engage those that are persecuting us. We engage those that we love around us that have not yet experienced what salt is, experienced what light is. We engage the world around us in being salt and being light. This is the one-two punch right here. This is the ultimate combo. This is the left jab and the right hook of Mike Tyson right here, okay? This is the lifestyle characteristics of the Beatitudes put to the action of being salt and being lives in our lives. And so let's look at what that looks like. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be salt, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So if you have your Connect card this morning, if you're taking notes with this, your first point is be salt 
to a decaying world. Be salt to a decaying world. We see in the ancient world that salt serves five different purposes. And the first purpose is purity. The second is preservation. The third is flavor. The fourth is healing. And the fifth is this creation of thirst. What Jesus is really honing in on this, what he's trying to say here to his disciples, is that you are to be salt. You are to live lives that purify and that preserve the world. This means that to, be, to add salt to something, that if it was going to be preserved, if it was going to be purified, you can take a piece of meat. And what they would do to the piece of meat back in the day is they would cure it. And when they cured it, it would cleanse the meat, it would keep it clean, it would keep bacteria off of it, and it would keep it from going rotten. What would happen is if you didn't salt this meat, it wouldn't last near as long, all right? So that's a lot of resources down the drain. We have to feed our family. You get a big hunk of meat at one time. You use it. You pack salt around it. You cure it. You make sure that it is clean. The salt helps it stay clean. It helps keep bacteria off of it. If you do not, if you do not cure the meat, what happens? Anybody have some lunch meat in your fridge that's ever gone bad? All right, they put enough preservatives in those things to make them last for 25 years. And I'm pretty sure I've beaten that before. Roast beef, when it goes bad in the fridge, is a sight to behold. It gets nasty. It gets juicier than it is already, but the, it turns green. Before it turns green, it turns gray. And you open the bag up, and you think you're about to get an amazing sandwich, but what you get is a bunch of nastiness down the sink because that smell hits your nose, and it is time to get rid of whatever is in your stomach. Meat needed to be cured so that it would last. If not, it would, it would spoil. The world needs to be purified. The world needs to be preserved. And whose job is that? That's our job. And that is our job because when we go from sinner to saint, God says you are no longer who you were, but you are mine now. You are a son. You are a daughter. And we are clean. We are made new. We are a new creature. A new trans we are a transformed person. That means that we are holy. And to be holy means to be set apart in service to God. So we are set apart to be salt and to be light. To be salt means that we bring righteousness into sin. When we go into dark, dirty, messed up situations, we purify those situations. When we preserve, this means that we bring life into a dying and decaying and corrupt world, and we, as believers, preserve it so that we can hold on just a little bit longer. So my question for you today, and you don't have to answer this out loud, is how are you purifying whatever situation that you are in as a believer? How are you preserving whatever situation that God has sent you into as a believer? Then Jesus says, don't lose your saltiness. What happens if salt loses its saltiness? It's pointless. You throw it out. There's no need for it. In the ancient world, salt would actually become contaminated and impure, and then it would lose its saltiness. And if it fails to fulfill its purpose, it is thrown away. There's no need to keep salt around just to take up space if it's not going to do its job. If Christians, if we as believers, as disciples, Jesus, as he is speaking to his disciples, making a distinction between them and the crowd, he is saying, if you are my disciples and you do not purify and preserve the fallen world, then we miss out on our purpose. Either we do or we do not. There is no in-between. 
we are either fulfilling our purpose and being the salt in the around in the earth around us in the situations we find ourselves in or we are not we miss the mark of what it means to be kingdom citizens so we embrace what it means to be salt the message translation says it like this if we lose our saltiness how will the world taste godliness we're supposed to enter every situation every conversation you have at work every interaction that you have with your spouse, all the free times that you get with your kids, with your family, every interaction we purify and we preserve and we bring flavor to. But remember, this is not in our own strength. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. If we try to go about living this life of being salt and purifying and preserving everything around us in our own strength, we will fail and ultimately, like salt in the ancient world, we will become contaminated and when we become contaminated we will become distracted and we when we become distracted we will take our eyes off the purpose of what God has sent us into so that we can be salt so that we can purify so that we can preserve and then eventually you stay distracted long enough you become enslaved and you put the handcuffs back on that Jesus set you free from and you end up pursuing a life of sin that is a life of death it is a life of decay and so you end up doing the exact opposite of what Jesus meant for you, of what his purpose was for you, to bring purification, to bring preservation, to keep things alive, to clean them out so that they can live. And what do we do? We turn our backs on that through distraction, and we follow something completely different. If we lose our saltiness, how will the world taste godliness? And the answer is it won't. We have to ask ourselves as a church, how are we being salt? How are we preserving our community? How are we purifying our community? And I am super excited to share with you guys all the immense amount of ways that we are able to love and serve and share right here in our community. But one of the biggest things I think is awesome about our church is that we put our money where our mouth is. So 11% of everything that comes in as far as local congregational tithing, what you guys give, uh, out of your resources on a Sunday, 11% of that goes right back out into kingdom causes. It goes right back out into planting more churches. It goes right back out into supporting seminaries so that people can come to learn about how to do ministry and plant churches. It goes right back out into advancing the kingdom. This means as a church, if we are going to be salt in our community, that we set aside our resources, but it also means that we set aside our time and we set aside our energy. This means that we love our school. Once a month, we write encouraging cards to the teachers up here. We try to do some kind of crazy, creative, encouraging thing so that they can know that someone in the community has their back because they are making an impact. They are making a difference on our children. This means as a church, we love our firefighters. And one thing I know about firefighters is they like to eat. So once a quarter, we buy lunch for every firefighter on all three shifts at Fire Station 304. As a church, this means that we love our highway and we want to see our community preserved and we want to purify it of all the litter that lives along Highway 60. And so we have adopted Highway 60 from 303, 3.4 miles out Highway 60 towards Las Vegas or Whitman or wherever you drive that way. And what we do is we clean it and the community sees us out there and they see that church loves us. That church is purifying our community, not just by picking up trash, but they are preserving our community. And we love our neighbors. There's something here at Asante Prep Academy called the Ranger Room. 
and there's been multiple times where there's been food that is needed before these students go on break because when they go on break, there's not going to be enough food in their homes for them to eat if they do not come to school and the school provides a meal for them. And so as a church, we have stepped up to the plate and provided thousands of dollars of food and thousands of dollars of resources so that families in need in our community can come and get a meal when they would not be able to. That is because of you, church. That is because you have embraced being salt where God has called you, where God has placed you. That's because you have loved our community well and you have met a need well. Now, as a church, this also means that we love our chainsaws. This past monsoon season, we had a monsoon come in and we had about 50% of the trees in the community blow over completely. And so we got some guys out there. We had a Ralph long bed trailer and we got out with some chainsaws. And for people who couldn't afford to have a landscape company come and chop their tree down and haul it off, we got out there and we chopped it down for them. We met a need. We loved our community and we loved each other. And we take care of each other within this church. I saw some people, heard some people, moved some people yesterday. I know some people that know some people that moved some people, all right? <laughs> Somebody that isn't a part of our church. But people heard that there was a need, and they wanted to help these people out. And so they showed up, and they helped, and they spent half of their Saturday sweating and moving things from one place to another, all just to show love. And that means that no matter who walks through the doors of this cafeteria, that we love them. It doesn't matter where they are in their life. It doesn't matter their experience in church. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they've been through, what we think they might do. We pause, we take time, we welcome them. We love them and we get to know them. And why do we do that? Because we are salt. So let's be salty. Now, let's not be salty in the millennial Gen Z definition of the word. Let's be salty as Jesus has called us to be salty. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who lives in heaven. Second point today is be light to a world in darkness. Be light to a world in darkness. It's really cool when you read the Bible as a whole. And when you read the Bible as a whole, I'm not talking about you just sit down and you start in Genesis and you end in maps, okay? Because that's actually the last book. It's not Revelation. <laughs> a lot of people have been getting that wrong for years, okay? When you end in maps, that's, that's going to take a long time. I don't think you should do that. But when you read through the Old Testament and you read large chunks, you see that there are concepts all throughout the Old Testament. And there's a concept of the light of the world, and it all points to Jesus. And so if you're not really sure, if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, here's how it works. is You have the Old Testament, everything that happened before Jesus, from the beginning of creation until the 400 years before Jesus is born. And everything that takes place in the Old Testament, even the 400 years before Jesus was born, is all taking place to point to Jesus. And then you have the New Testament. And the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are different gospel accounts. These are different eyewitness accounts of people who saw the life and the ministry of Jesus, and so they write it down. Everything after those four gospels, after that takes place, everything after that is pointing back to the gospels, pointing back to Jesus, to the love, to the victory, to the life of Jesus. And so within the Old Testament, remember everything pointing to the gospel, everything pointing to Jesus, there is 
this concept of the light of the world. And part of this concept is revelation, instructions, hope, joy, righteousness, salvation, a radiance of the divine presence. In Isaiah 49.6, it's talking about the Messiah. And it says, a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then it happened. Jesus comes onto the scene and everything that was said and done in the Old Testament is now revealed in this person that is Jesus, that is fully God, that is fully man. And in John 8, Jesus reveals everything when he says, I am the light of the world. Now everything, Old Testament, now meeting the Gospels, is brought together. Everything that would happen after, pointing back to Jesus, he is the center of history. It all depends on him. Jesus says, I am the light of the world in John 8, 2. You know what Jesus is saying here? On the side of this mountain, as he is sitting down teaching his disciples as hundreds of people gather around him, he is looking at his disciples, and he's already said that I am the light of the world. And now he says, you, you, my disciples, are also the light of the world. So you, Asante Church, people that call this church home, people who have put your faith in Jesus. You are disciples. That means you are the light of the world. You are salt. You are light. Not you should be salt. Maybe one day, if you are good enough, you can be salt. Maybe one day, if you try hard enough, if you learn enough, if you go to seminary, you can be light. No, in Jesus, you are salt. In Jesus, you are light. So what does it mean to be light. It means that wherever we go, we display the glory of God. It means that we live righteous and obedient lives out of our love for the Father and what he has done for us. Remembering that we cannot do enough good to earn our salvation, but because we have been saved, we now work out of that salvation. To be the light means that we resist sin. We resist temptation. We turn from it. We we flee from it. We repent when we fall to it, and we live in the grace of Jesus. And this means that we embrace truth. It means that we turn our lights on, we light our candles. All that they had back in this day was a little oil stand, so that's like lighting a birthday candle, walking around your house. Sometimes it could be more flame. Nobody had a thousand, fifteen hundred lumen flashlight they're walking around with back then, okay? It means that we light, we become light. We light our little lampstands, and we walk around, and we help others find the way to true life, which is only in Jesus. And how do we do that? It's a lot like we did when we were salt. We love, we serve, and we share. Jesus gives us two examples. The first one is a city on a hill. We see that chapter 5, verse 14. As Jesus is teaching these crowds, as his disciples are gathered around, as the crowds are gathered around, there's an ancient city that is behind him. And is the ancient city of Safed. And so this ancient city of Safed is elevated. People would have seen it. And so when Jesus says, you are a city on a hill, everyone that was being taught could look up at this city of Safed and say, you know what? As the sun goes down, I could see how lights would start coming on. I would see how you cannot hide this place. And so we are light individually right now as disciples of Jesus. And what does that mean? That means that we cannot hide. You were not called. You were not saved. You were not redeemed. You were not transformed so that you could take this little light of mine and hide it from everybody else. 
as Jesus followers, we are the light of the world. You know who else has that description? Nobody. Nobody else in the history of the world, nobody else will ever have that description. We are the light of the world. Why are we the light of the world? Because we are like the moon. We reflect the light that the sun puts off. So let's let our light shine. As a church, we have the same purpose right here in our community. We can't hide. We can't come in here and worship and think, man, I'm going to let my light shine here and it's going to shine bright. But as soon as I leave this place, I'm going to hermit away. I'm going to be a turtle. I'm going to get back in my shell. I'm going from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of Kevin. Thank you again, Jacob. That's not why we were saved. That's not what we were designed for. We cannot hide. We have to show and display the true life that we have found in Jesus, and we have to display it to others so that they can see what that looks like. We have to help others discover that path as they are stumbling along in darkness. And so what do we do? We love, we serve, and we share. There are no silent saints. Not in Asante Church, not in this community. If you were a sinner and now you are a saint, you cannot keep your mouth shut. You should be overjoyed at the freedom that you have from the sin you were once enslaved to because you have been set free in Jesus. And if you are free, you are free indeed. So don't walk around cowardly. Don't walk around without boldness. Walk around like confidence. Roaring like a lion because you have a God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Do not keep that a secret. Tell somebody. Jesus' second example is a light in a house. We see that in verses 15 through 16. No one turns on a lamp in a house and immediately hides it. A little light makes a huge impact. I grew up in Texas, and we have these things called the Carlsbad Caverns. And we went on a little middle school field trip. And so we took the bus all the way to the caves or the caverns. That's a fancy word for caves, I guess. Nobody really ever explained that to me. But uh, we get to the Carlsbad Caverns, and we get out. We're a bunch of, you know, stupid middle schoolers. And so we get out of the bus, and we're like, all right, cave, awesome. And as soon as you get in, they start teaching you about this cave system. And they have these things called stalactites and stalagmites. And I don't know which one goes from the floor to the sky or from the ceiling to the floor, but it's one or the other. And they're caused by water, okay? And so they are walking you in through each room of this cavern. And each room that you walk into is further and further from the light of day. And now, thank goodness, they have it roped off. Thank goodness there are lights that help you on a path. But eventually, you get so deep into the cave that you can no longer see the light of day outside. And then they say, all right, a lot of you have never experienced true darkness. So what we are going to do is we are going to turn out the lights. And now for 60 middle schoolers to turn out the lights where you can't see anything, that's not a good idea ever. And so (laughs) immediately our teachers start to panic and immediately the guide starts to laugh like this is going to be hilarious. What's going to (laughs) happen? Thank goodness nothing happened. We had really mean teachers. We were scared of them, terrified. They turn out the lights. And for the first time in my life, I experienced total darkness. I experienced the heaviness of it. It's thick. It almost has a weight. And I'm thinking, I can't see anything. My eyes are opened up as wide as they can be. They're dilated. I'm trying to take in all the light that I can, but I can't see my hand in front of my face right here. 
And for a short minute, I'm hoping maybe with my eyesight not being here, all my other senses will heighten and I'll be like Daredevil. And that didn't work either. I just experienced more darkness. And then what do they do? They light a match. And one little match is lit and it makes all the difference in the world. Now suddenly this hopelessness, this sense of despair, this feeling of weight goes away and all of a sudden there's light again. There is hope again. That's what we have called, been called to be. In our communities, where over 95 pe- 95% of people have never heard the gospel or have gone to church and had a bad experience and are now what is considered de-churched. 95% of people right around the place that we live have no relationship with Jesus. That means that on your street, that is your Carlsbad cabins. That is your section of darkness. And as the heaviness sets in, and as the lostness sets in, and as this thick feeling of despair sets in, you move into the neighborhood, and you light your match, and you let your light shine. Let your light shine before others. They will see your good works. Continue to be salt. Continue to be light, and they will see your Father in heaven, and they will glorify him. So before we go, there are things to consider when it comes to being salt and being light. And that is this key theme of distinction. Jesus is drawing a line. This is what it means to be my disciples. If you are doing these things, you are my disciples. If you are my disciples, there is no choice. This is what your life looks like. He has paired the Beatitudes, this life that seems passive, of these characteristics that we should be about, that we should experience, and then the action of being salt and being light. He's drawing a line between his disciples and the crowd. What side of that line do you fall on? When you look at your life, are you salty? Do you display light? Where are you at? A disciple or part of the crowd? What's the difference between you and the rest of the world? And what keeps you from shining brightly? Is it fear of man? Is it fear of what somebody might say about you? Is it fear of persecution? Is it pride? I can't belittle myself. I can't put myself below other people. I want you to know that King Jesus came down from heaven and belittled himself to be a servant so that he could lift everyone else up out of their sin and out of death. Is it sin that is keeping you from being salt, from being light? Not just a sin that you know is bad that you want to get rid of in your life, but what about your pet sin? What about that sin that you're just a little bit more comfortable with? become familiar. It hasn't gone away. It's become a habit. It's become an addiction. Is that sin keeping you from being salt and from being light? Or is it comfort? You just want to live a lazy boy lifestyle where all you do is chill, 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 no matter what. There is no action in your life because you are happy and you are complacent and you are ultimately apathetic where you are right where you are. My life is too comfortable right now. I'm all set up. I'm not going to step outside of that comfort. Or is it your expectation? I can never live up to this expectation that Jesus has on me. Well, I want you to know that Jesus saw you in your sin and chose to die for your sin anyway. It's not about being good enough. It's about having a God who loves you enough that he can save you from that sin. Maybe it's your ambition. Maybe it's your agenda 
That's just not the course I had set out for my life, to be sold out to Jesus. I want you to know life is not about you. As a believer, life isn't about us. It's about following Jesus, chasing after what he has called us into and following his bigger story. So what is it going to take for you to set all these things aside and to be salty and to be light? What's it going to take for you to go from the crowd to disciple, from curious about Jesus to in relationship with Jesus? Church family, let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's pray.